Hello everybody, uh, this is PHP Town Hall, we're back once again, it's uh, February 19th and uh, this is episode 20. We, we only recorded one fairly recently and um, we are, we're doing another one because we've been lucky enough to be joined by two excellent guests who are from a lot of different projects, so I'm going to have a go at introducing the pair of them. Uh, we have Bo Simonson, who is uh, known for his contribution, well, for creating uh, Sculpin, which is a static uh, CMS website generator, essentially. Um, and he's also a PHP FIG member. And we have Michael Dowling, who will be best known for working for Amazon Web Services um, for creating Guzzle, the HTTP uh, client for PHP. And is another FIG member, so we have a very FIG-heavy crowd here. Uh, if you guys would like to say hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's always really good. Um, I can never work out how to start things off. But if you just want to say hello and, and talk about yourself a little bit and try and do a better introduction than I just did. Uh, you, you, did you did a fine introduction. Uh, I'm Bo, because you can't really tell who we are necessarily. Um, and yeah, uh, Sculpin is a fig project. And I represent uh, Sculpin for fig. Uh, worked a lot on PSR4 with you and Paul and everybody else. Um, yeah, and uh, got to meet Phil for the first time and Sunshine, Sunshine PHP, so that was pretty cool. I'm Michael, and uh, as Phil said, I work on Guzzle, I work on the AWS SDK for PHP, um, and I'm a member of the FIG representing Amazon Web Services, and uh, happy to be here. Sweet, that's it. Um, see you all next week, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was the best podcast we've done so far. <laughs> done. Concise, to the point. Um, so the first thing to talk about uh, is um, Sculpin, I guess. So if you want to give us a quick intro, like what, what were you trying to achieve? How did it come about? What is um, Yeah, sure. So uh, Sculpin is really not something entirely new. Uh, there's a, several other static site generators out there. Um, I spent a lot of time working with Jekyll, which I'm sure a lot of people are aware of by now. It powers GitHub pages. Um, yeah, I worked with Jekyll for a bit, uh, which is in Ruby. I worked with Octopress for a little while, which is basically a nice skin for Jekyll, and kind of found both of them lacking a little bit. And a lot of that had to do with my unfamiliarity with Ruby. Um, so I started looking for a PHP solution and kind of stumbled into Frozen, which predates Sculpin by, I don't know, maybe a year, um, but it had a slightly different architecture. So I was looking for a new project, uh, something to play, play around with some Symphony components. And right around the time I found Composer, I realized it was written with Symphony components. It was a command line application, and I thought, hmm, I could probably build a little... Jekyll clone in PHP, and they sort of threw it from there into some crazy thing. Yeah, it's great fun. I mean, we've been using Sculpin at the PHP League, which is just a, a silly vendor name for me and my friends. Um, and it's it's being used to power all, all of our sites. Um, I mean, it's a little bit tricky because uh, trying to get it hosted on, up on GitHub pages doesn't always work particularly smoothly, mostly because Jekyll is supported by default by yeah. GitHub, whereas anything else, you kind of have to jam it in. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like the, could you, I guess, give us a quick uh, walkthrough of the process of getting a website up, right? You've got a, a single repository, and then you want to get a website running for that repository. What, like, talk us through how that works. Well, it's right now, as you mentioned, uh, 
it doesn't work as smoothly as GitHub Pages. Like if you have an existing repository with GitHub Pages, create a GitHub page, uh, GH Pages branch and put your code in there and you publish it and magic occurs and all of a sudden you have a website hosted on GitHub. Um, well, Sculpin is a little different right now. You pretty much need to create a fresh repository that contains your site. Um, and that actually is not too different from how Octopress works right now. Octopress is sort of right around the idea of um, uh, you have a site that is basically, uh, you have a repository that contains all of the content for your site. You have a source directory with all the source files. And yeah, so it's, it's a lot closer to that. So if you want to start with a Sculpin site, you basically create a Sculpin, uh, a source directory. It's not SRC, it's actually fully spelled out source. Um, and you put index.md in there and start writing markdown. And it's more or less what you need to do. Um, maybe a little bit of YAML front matter uh, just to make sure that Sculpin picks it up as something that could be formatted. And you can, you can make a simple one-page Sculpin site with just those, just with that one file. And yeah, the, the league actually helped uh, push forward one of the bigger features that I'm working on for Sculpin, which is themes. Um, ah, so nice. yeah, so the, uh, the league's uh, interest in Sculpin was really what forced that to go through. It's been something that, uh, one of the things that I had difficulties with Octopress is that once you create an Octopress site, you can't really change the theme out super easily. Uh, the workflow for that is very complicated. So I wanted to create uh, a way to do that more easily. And you know, by prodding from the league, wanting to get all of their pages up using the same look and feel, sort of uh, push that feature through, which hasn't been merged yet. The documentation and the actual uh, new base theme for all uh, for the blog skeleton site hasn't been merged yet, but you know the league's actually using that functionality right now, and I think it works pretty well. Yeah, it's been pretty smooth. I mean, uh, all we've done is uh, for Fractal, if any, I'll put a link to that. Um, but as an example, we just have like the master branch contains all of the you know the actual package uh, code, and then I have a Sculpin branch, which is uh, completely uh, it's like a what do they call it an orphaned yeah orphaned orphan branch. branch orphan I can't remember what they call them, but yeah, it doesn't share any history with the master right. branch. Yeah, just random branch with Sculpin stuff in there and all the source code, and then um, there's another I have a little deploy script uh, that just kind of um, just kind of commits that and then creates the generate. That makes a little output production folder and then it mm -hmm. commits that and pushes it off to the GH pages branch. It's a bit crazy, but. Yeah, yeah, that, that, um, it was really fun working on that with him. And you know, he did a really good job of getting everything all, all hooked up. So it's it's definitely has room for improvement, but it's a great proof of concept to show that the whole thing can work end to end pretty easily. It just. We, I need to take time, or other people need to get involved and help make that process more smooth. And you know, it won't be—it probably won't be too much longer, and you'll be able to publish code to GitHub pages pretty easily with Sculpin. But it's definitely not something that you can just jump into right now. Yeah, fair enough. I saw you walking around with Sculpin T-shirts um, at Sunshine PHP. Um, yeah. How do how do people get one of those? Um, you don't yet. <laughs> uh, I I got probably. I think I had five of them created, and uh, I think Pablo from Server Grove has one. Uh, I knew uh, Luis Cordova has one. Um, I can't remember who who got the other two, and then I have one, and my wife has one. My wife actually my wife actually made the the Sculpin logo, so she she painted an actual little fish that I vectorized. So 
she has a Scotland shirt as well. That's pretty slick. Um, yeah, I saw I saw two T-shirts wandering around. I went, ah, that must be Bo's <laughs> wife then. Just assuming. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, we didn't actually get around to talking about um, about Sunshine BHP on the last uh, episode much. Um, uh, Michael, it's a shame that you didn't come along because I was hanging out with Jeremy a little bit in the evenings. Um, I mostly interacted with him when I was hammered at about two o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon, the day after on the uh, on the plane on the way to the airport. I was just just still plastered the next day. It was quite <laughs> embarrassing. But, um, yeah, can you yeah. not make it, or do you not not a fan of Miami? Um, we had a so Florida. We have to get that cleared through work to be able to go. So in order to go, I would have had to have paid my own way, and I didn't get a talk accepted. So I I didn't make it this year. But maybe next year. Sounds like it was awesome. Yeah, it was an amazing conference. <laughs> um, yeah, Did no, you get I, a yellow I, elephant, Bo? Yep, I got my first yellow elephant. I nice. got my first elephant, actually, so it's pretty cool. Jeremy brought me back one, so that was pretty nice of him. It's <laughs> good stuff. Like I said, yeah, we just we just followed Adam out to his car and, and got one from the trunk, so that worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that was good. I mean, I, I sadly missed the keynote from Cal Evans, but he's released uh, a, a, a book about, you know, which is kind of based off of the stuff he was talking about, or he was talking about the stuff in his book, one of the two two around. Did you Which one is it? Book? Is it the uh, Going Pro or Signaling? Yeah, going Pro. Did you catch cool. the keynote, Bo? Uh, yeah, actually. I, I was about 15 minutes late. My, my talk was right before his, and the schedule didn't have any break between them, so I was a little late getting to his talk. But I, I did get to see probably most of it. I mean, I'm never, I'm never sure what else to say about a conference. It was cool. There were good talks. I learned some stuff. I met some people. <laughs> I drank a lot of whiskey. I don't know. Um, that's good times. Well, that's, you know, call that one done. Uh, Guzzle 4. Let's get, let Michael do some talking. Um, what is happening? Well, first, first what's Guzzle? And, and we actually got the first question for, on PHP Town Hall for the first oh. time in a little while. And that was from Jeremy Lindblom, Lindblom okay. uh, who you work with, which is what's new in, in uh, Guzzle 4. Okay, well, first off, I'll tell you what Guzzle is. It's a uh, HTTP client library in PHP that also has a web service framework that you can use on top of the client layer. Um, and it, it takes care of all the low-level stuff like creating requests, um, uh, retrying failed connection errors. Uh, you can add plugins and subscribers to modify the lifecycle of a request. So you can uh, retry failed authorization attempts and um, sign requests before they get sent over the wire. And then the web service layer allows you to create operations. And then a command is an instance of an operation. And it knows how to, based on the parameters it's been given, how to serialize an HTTP, HTTP request, send it over the wire, and then how to parse the response and, and what kind of thing to create for you based on the response. So uh, that's all driven through a service description language um, that's similar to Swagger. It's a JSON-based document that you describe APIs with. Um, and so that's the gist of Guzzle in a very short statement. Uh, but Guzzle 4 is the next version of Guzzle. Okay, what's the next topic? <laughs> that makes sense. Um, well, actually, before we hop onto Guzzle 4, I guess I'm uh, I'm still learning how to be a moderator, and I'm I'm getting there. But 
Um, so Guzzle is probably powering a package whether you know it or not. Like if you go and look in your code base, Guzzle is the sort of package where you've never installed it, but if you use Composer, it's probably there. Like <laughs> if you use um, AWS or if you use uh, anything I've done or a lot of other packages, generally people will install Guzzle if they can't really be bothered with the idea of install uh, writing a huge amount of curl bullshit. Um, or they don't want to have to work with like stream wrappers and file get contents. Um, so it's, it's a very common dependency. And is it right, Michael, that it's had about a million installs? It's had a, yeah, a little over a million. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, when did that start to go crazy? Like, did you notice? Um, did you notice there was a certain point where like the install count peaked? Or yeah. So I mean, I've been at Amazon for a little over two years, and when I joined, it had like. 250 stars or something on GitHub, and now it's got almost 3,000 stars, and it's it's part of like Gout, it's part of uh, Drupal 8 core, and it's getting adopted by more and more libraries. And I think the tipping point when it actually started to get a, an awful lot of popularity was when uh, Fabian Potencier put it into uh, Gout. <laughs> that was whenever it really took off, I think. I know it's the careful, uh, careful wording on the names there. Um, <laughs> just go with the Twitter handle, FabPot. FabPot. <laughs> um, Bo, you had a question. Uh, it wasn't a question. I was going to say that Sculpin actually has a couple of Guzzle dependencies uh, because I'm using React PHP, and React uses Guzzle, uh, parts of Guzzle in it. So, yeah, it is pretty much everywhere. That Even if you aren't doing anything that's... You know, HTTP related, chances are there's some part of it that might be used somewhere. Um, that's pretty cool that you mentioned that uh, React uses Guzzle, because what I, I was going to ask uh, Michael is if there was any, um, I know there are plans to make more asynchronous calls and, and you know, add uh, asynchronous abilities to Guzzle. Um, a couple of months ago when I was writing that article, uh, Node.js benchmarking Cods Wallop, whatever it was, where somebody basically compared uh, compared file get contents uh, to some Node.js package, and then went, oh look, Node.js is web scale and PHP is shit. <laughs> um, that was mostly because file get contents is blocking, so you make one request, and then you have to wait until the first request is finished to start the second request. Uh, right. Whereas Node.js can be multiple things. Um, in my example, I used uh, the async package from React.js to kind of wrap it all in an async block so that it can make multiple requests at the same time. Um, right. I was wondering if there's any of that sort of workflow being intended to be added to Guzzle to really improve speeds of making a shitload of HTTP requests. Yeah, um, so Guzzle in its current state currently has uh, a, the ability to send requests in parallel using non-blocking requests, and that's through curl. But the the problem is you, you send requests in batches, and that's actually something I'm getting away from in Guzzle 4, and is that batching isn't a thing. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I'll talk more about that later. But in the current version, you create basically like an array of requests. So you have like 200 requests you want to send in parallel. You give it to the client, and you say, send all these requests. And then it sends it off to curl using the curl multi-API. And curl handles all the, you know, multiplexing the sockets and sending them all with a non-blocking interface. So there was a pull request um, where someone implemented uh, basically like future responses, but I don't think that it was it did exactly what it, it, it what it said it was doing because what happens is 
it was essentially just a deferred batch. So you, you create a bunch of future responses, but nothing happens. And then you call send on one of them, and then all of them send at the same time. So it's essentially the exact same interface, except you've introduced a, a promise, which it doesn't add any performance gains, but, I mean, it's an interesting concept that you could you could get a thing immediately and then send that off and only lazily execute it. Um, so that probably won't get merged into the 3.0 branch, but it is definitely something that is a potential add-on that could be added to the uh, 4.0 series of Guzzle. Like a, a future response kind of system. Okay. And would you see yourself using any of the React components, or is it something that you're going to try and, uh, or something that you're going to do uh, by hand, like yourself? Um, it won't use React. It, it, uh, so the next version is going to have adapters for the HTTP client layer, the actual uh, the networking transport layer. There will be two adapters that are shipped with it. There will be uh, a file get contents based adapter and a curl adapter. Um, and the adapter interface is going to be really, really simple. It's just got a send method. And you can decorate that as, as you want. Like, say, say you want to create a series of, like, a chain of adapters. And one intercepts it and says, does this have the stream attribute set to true? Yes then send it to the streaming, to the file get contents adapter. And if it doesn't, then it goes to the default adapter, which is curl. So that's the basic setup, but um, I do plan on having other repositories that you could install as an optional dependency. And one would possibly be like a React-based uh, networking layer that could send requests in parallel. And then that one could, could be a future response kind of powered system. Um, and then other ones might be a pure socket layer. Uh, but in the core, it would only have the file get contents and the curl adapters. And so you could switch between the two based on if you have curl installed or not. Um, or if you, you know, if, if you don't have the allow URL F open thing set up, then you, you wouldn't use the stream one. So it, it determines your environment and, and chooses the most appropriate adapter. Cool. Um... You want to hate me for this question, but do you have a date in mind for that? Yeah, tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, that would have been I, awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> happening now. Uh, maybe in like a couple months. I don't know. Because the HTTP layer is basically done. Um, okay. And now I'm going through and making sure that the service description layer works um, on top of the new HTTP kind of infrastructure that I've built up. So maybe I'll release HTTP stuff before the service description stuff. And if I do that, it'll be sooner than two months. But uh, I'm, I'm still kind of playing around with that, seeing if I can get it done in, a, in the amount of time that I want to get it done in. So maybe two months at the latest. Yeah. Um, well, a, good. Sorry, I was trying to uh, use the new hand signal whilst actually turning my microphone back on. Uh, <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. We have a we have a question from uh, Marco Hiveta, um, and he would like to know: Is there a radical redesign in version four, or is it mainly backwards compatible? It is a radical redesign, like in the sense of Ninja Turtles radical, but also <laughs> like also completely different. So uh, the service description layer will be pretty similar, so that won't change. The HTTP layer is going to change a lot. Um, 
some of the stuff will will be the same. Um, a lot of it will be different. For example, um, requests don't own a response, and a response doesn't have a reference to a request. So um, all the HTTP stuff is handled through a transaction object that is sort of like the mediator between the two. And then the networking layer takes a transaction object and then, uh, based on events, knows how to how to set the appropriate response for a request. Um, so a lot of that infrastructure, like that that low-level code and guzzles changing. Um, and also, I'm probably going to release it under a different namespace so, um, so that you could use them both in the same project. And the reason I'm going to do that is um, there's some pretty big libraries that are depending on the 3.0. And then there's thousands of other libraries that are depending on 3.0 that they might not ever update. And they, I guess they don't have to if they don't want to if I go down this other path, which is uh, instead of just guzzle as a namespace, I'll be shortening, like, right now there's a lot of deeply nested namespaces, um, like guzzle, HTTP, message, header. So I'm moving everything up to where it's only, like, one to maximum of two namespaces deep, but the root namespace is going to be guzzle HTTP. And then uh, I think that will prevent namespace collisions. And then also I'll create a new packages uh, organization called guzzle HTTP. So then you'll be able to take advantage of the new version without worrying about like updating your AWS SDK dependency or rewriting anything for that. And uh, then there's the whole Drupal 8 thing where they're using Guzzle in Drupal 8 core. And so like if, if they launch Drupal 8 tomorrow with Guzzle 3, then I have to support Guzzle 3 for something like eight years. So that's going to be fun. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, then I basically wouldn't be able to make a breaking change that anyone from Drupal would, would be able to use for, like, however long Drupal 8's out. So I'm thinking this is going to be the best way forward. And uh, so the radical changes are there, but they won't, uh, you know, you can use the old stuff at the same time as the new stuff and slowly migrate as you need to. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's really hard to work out how to... I've heard people talking about using different namespaces for different versions, and I guess the one thing with that is that um, you're going to go, the, the, the namespace rename definitely helps make version four not be an issue and the migration, you know, less of a, less difficult there. But what happens with version five at that point, I guess, like trying to work out how to handle multiple versions at the same time. Like, so you go from Guzzle to Guzzle HTTP and then Guzzle goes away because it's four years in the future or whatever. And then you're trying to go from Guzzle HTTP to what's next. Um, right. Major, major versions suck. But I guess that doesn't really matter at this point because it's a long way down the road. But yeah. Well, that's uh, one of the reasons why I didn't, you know, some people suffix a namespace with a major version. And I didn't want to lock it into, like, it being branded as Guzzle 3 or Guzzle 4. Like, branding your project based on a major version causes you to be like, man, I'm not going to make any... I have to make breaking changes in a, in a minor release because I don't want to have to rebrand and, and get everybody to start Googling for this new Symphony 3 or whatever, right? So um, I, I don't want to do that. And also, Guzzle 3 to 4 is going to be a much bigger change than if I ever did a 4 to 5. Um, I wouldn't rebuild everything. It would be a minor evolutionary change. But um, 3 to 4, there's a lot that's changing, a lot's being simplified. Because the code is actually, it's, it's like been on GitHub for a few years. And then before that, it was an open source project. It was a closed source project that the company I worked at 
for a couple of years. So, I mean, it's, it's evolved over time. And some of the design decisions that were made way back then carried over and some of them weren't the, the best design decisions. And then in order to try to maintain backwards compatibility, you got to keep adding on top of things and those things slow things down and they make the code more complicated. So going back and taking the parts out and simplifying things, it's, it's made the library easier to understand, easier to use, um, and it's going to be faster too. Exciting uh, sorry. stuff. Yeah. yeah, just tweeting and whatnot. Ben, got any questions about Guzzle? Uh, no, I just actually wanted to say personally thank you because I was like Phil mentioned, I didn't realize I used it until today I had a composer conflict and I was like, hey, what's this guzzle thing? And, yeah. uh, you know, good work. Cool, thanks. <laughs> uh, who else is contributing to guzzle and who else has uh, control over this in case you get hit by a bus? Over the SDK or guzzle? Uh, guzzle. <laughs> um, I... I think I made uh, I, I made Jeremy um, an owner of the repo in case I die. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's a silly question, but uh, with um, you know when when your code's being used in a lot of places, um, when you have like one person who's in control, it's always a bad shitty situation. Like with Fuel PHP, a lot of it was in control under one person, and then that right. person just vanished off the internet for an entire year and turned up on the other side of the country. Um, and we had a really stressful year trying to get access to all that stuff. So. Whenever I hear about a large project kind of having one one name involved, I always get worried about who else could take over the reins. Right. Well, uh, Jeremy is a is an owner, I believe, and that's that's important because we also work on the AWS SDK, which is like the SDK is the way that you use PHP, the way that you connect to Amazon Web Services using PHP applications. So we manage that that client. We develop that together, Jeremy and I, and that's built on top of Guzzle as well. So like. A business reason for Amazon is to keep Jeremy as a as an owner of the project too. Well, that helps. Um, so the PHP SDK for Amazon uh, is really good. Like it's gone through a couple of recodes. I think it's on version three. I haven't used it in a couple of weeks. It's on version two. While. Version two. Okay, but it was it was the version two that was drastically better, right? I think there was one version, the, the new version with namespaces, right? That's the cool one. And the one before that, there was a lot of kind of random classes kind of floating around, but the new recode to make it PSR zero, did it get as far as PSR one or? It did, I think it's zero, one, and two. I guess two is the other coding standard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, you're on the fig, you're meant to know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's PSR 12 even. We, we don't know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess brings us on perfectly to our next topic. Um, so me and Bo uh, decided to uh, sponsor uh, PSR7, which is the new standard for HTTP messages. And I think out of all the standards that have come out so far, this will be um, this will be a major one, which will mean a lot of good things for PHP. But it's also the most misunderstood and the most bitched about, mostly because people assume that it's shit because they don't <laughs> get it. So in in, in your best way, uh, Michael, could you explain? what the PSR7 message PSR is all about. Sure. Um, it is a set of interfaces that describes HTTP messages. So it describes a request and a response, and then the body of either of those two things. So um, it's meant to be as minimal as possible. And it's not really meant to say, your project is using HTTP. You have to follow this interface. 
it's the interface that is the bridge between two projects. If you want your project, say GeoCoder, to be able to use an HTTP client, which they currently do, they um, they created several adapters. So they have like a guzzle adapter, a buzz adapter, a curl adapter, and, and a bunch of other adapters. And, and all these projects, just like GeoCoder, are are creating these adapters that basically do the same thing. They take the functionality of the the lower level client and kind of wrap it up into a simpler interface. And the HTTP message proposal is meant to get rid of that. So you can require your project no longer needs to have all these adapters. You just need to require PSR zero. And then GeoCoder says you can inject a client into the GeoCoder client. So you can inject a PSR well clients down the road. I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but uh, so you say it wanted to use a uh, message. Um, so it needs to be able to take an, a message return from a client or return from whatever it's interacting with. And it needs to know how to use that message. Well, this interface describes the uh, the headers, the body, and stuff like the start line for requests and start line for responses and helps you to to know what it is and it boils it down for you in a simplified interface. Um, and now I'm just talking in circles. That's yeah. the description of it. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, the way I describe it, Geocode is the exact example I use as well just because it's a perfect, uh, perfect explanation of what we're trying to do. Like the group for years, I remember when I joined it two years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever, when I joined the group, um, HTTP clients were something that were being discussed then for exactly that reason, that you're trying to, um, as I've already said, Guzzle is, is required by so many different packages, mostly because they don't want to have to write that shitty HTTP interaction code by themselves. So you include Guzzle, and then you know, you're requiring 3.6 or 3.7 or 3.8 different versions of Guzzle are out there, or you're requiring um, you're requiring Buzz or requests or the send uh, HTTP thing or some pair shit for some reason. And whatever it is that you use, uh, there are loads of these different HTTP clients. So if you can, if we can make down the road a PSR for uh, HTTP clients, then that would solve that problem. Um, trying to go directly to HTTP client for the last year, I think, has generally been agreed that it would be too much hard work in one go. So uh, the HTTP message is being taken as the first step, and then the client can kind of be responsible for passing these messages around, and then we have both uh, both things solved. Um, right. So, Bo, what do you think of uh, the PSR? How difficult do you reckon it'll be to get it through? And do you think it'll be as much fun as PSR 4 was? <laughs> uh, I, I really don't know what to expect from the HTTP uh, PSR. It's it's something that's gone from a, you know, actually when the HTTP client was first pitched back, I don't know, two, three years ago, however long ago it was, that was pretty much when I started to get involved with it as well. Uh, right before um, PSR 1 and PSR 2 kind of stole the show and put everything else on hold for a year or so. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I'm pretty excited that Michael's excited about this because I know that uh, in the early days with the when we first started talking about the client, I know we had a discussion about that of whether or not you know it makes sense to actually do that and is it going to stifle uh, uh, what's the word? Stifle... Um, Innovation. Innovation, yes. Like, what what, what good is it going to be to have one client? It's just going to end up being one client to rule them all. So uh, I, I like the fact that it's slowly evolved over the years into this idea of HTTP messages. 
Uh, I'd be curious to see whether or not we'd be able to use HTTP messages at the framework level as well, not just as a client. Um, I, don't, I, I know that the PSR currently doesn't really address that at all, but there's a lot of similarities on the client side and the server side. I don't know how far we can take that, and that could be something that would be really useful for like the Stack project. Um, Stack uses simple HTTP messages. It's all about request in, response out. Um, if we could standardize on a way to uh, adapt, say, Symfony HTTP request and response to this, it would be like a common language for both clients and servers. So I don't know. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about the idea of having this message interface really well defined, see how many people we can get on board with it and see where we can take it. So I, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, the bad with my words today. The uh, Symfony HTTP uh, kernel, I guess, is, is something that a large amount of inspiration has been taken from, right? Um, I mean, Michael, maybe you could give some insight into where the HTTP message has come from, because currently we are in draft, we're in the draft stage, and mm -hmm. um, that, that, uh, the proposal that you have put your name on has been combined from multiple other proposals and from various bits of feedback all over the place, but it's also um, been, uh, been using feedback and ideas from other implementations. So maybe you could give us an a, a explanation of, like, where this came from and, and kind of how you put it together. Sure. Um, there was a lot of interest in a message proposal for HTTP requests and responses, and uh, I thought that I could do a good job at it. So I went ahead and, and I, I saw that Wilkie Barkid, I don't know, Chris Wilkerson, he had created a HTTP message PSR proposal. Um, and I had a lot of, I sent a lot of pull requests to it and had a lot of ideas to kind of try to improve it. Didn't see a much like movement on that. And I thought that my, the way that I was trying to change it was maybe too different than what he was going for. So I decided to create one of my own. And um, it's, it's basically like, it's very similar to Guzzle's HTTP requests and response uh, interfaces. It's, um, it, like Guzzle 3, it's even more minimalistic than Guzzle 3's inter interfaces. It's more like the Guzzle 4 interfaces um, where everything's as minimal as possible so that it's easy to implement and to work with. Um, but it it's not really based on the Symfony request objects or anything like that. But just because it's using um, requests and response interfaces that were originally created for a client, it actually um, it can be used server-side as well because it's, it's generic enough of an interface that you could use it for any HTTP message. So it's, it's not locked into just the client side. And that's actually one of the goals in designing it was that it would be, it's, it's just the HTTP RFC in PHP form. So like it's, it's trying to solve both of those problems. Uh, one thing that I have seen come up a couple of times on Reddit, uh, which is obviously well known for its uh, being a source of wonderful insight and feedback on, um, on problems, um, is that somebody was concerned that uh, PSR 7 was just going to be guzzle. They'd just be like, oh, hey, we've got this idea for a, there's guzzle, eat it, eat it. Um, how how does it differ from guzzle? Because you're building, um, you're building guzzle for around 
what this what this uh, you go. How how does it differ? How does PSR seven differ from Guzzle? Um, so Guzzle three, the current version, and the PSR HDP proposal, they're very different. And like, it isn't the the message proposal is not a direct port of what Guzzle is currently using. So it's not like I just took interfaces that I already made and said these are the best, use them. I'm taking interfaces that I made better, and then I said these are the best use. <laughs> and uh, so, like, it's it's not just like guzzle because these are new things that were created to to serve the purpose of being a very well defined, very basic HTTP interface for for messages. Um, guzzle four will use them directly, assuming that the proposal gets passed along um, expeditiously. But if it doesn't, then I'll probably just launch version 4 and then create an adapter, which I bet most other clients or server-side frameworks will do as well. So like, like, like we said before, these aren't meant to say this is a standard that you have to implement because this is the best way to do it. This is an intermediary kind of interface design where you're a library author and you need an HTTP client and you don't want to lock yourself into a specific version. You can use it as the as a guideline for how you implement your your stuff on top of HTTP, but it's it's not like t- telling people they have to change. That's cool. Um, I, I I really hope that, that solves a couple of people's concerns, but there's still going to be people that just complain that PSR seven is now just you know guzzle because uh, people generally complain that PSR one and PSR two were Symphony because Symphony was involved and that was a pain in the ass. Um, we have a question from Ben Ramsey to get to in a second, but first, Bo, uh, go ahead. I, I think PSR3 had that problem as well, with PSR3 just basically being monologue. Um, I, people still say that. So I think this is probably going to be a problem that we'll have as long as we are building something based on something that a FIG member is already doing, especially if that FIG member is running the project or running the PSR. So I, I don't know how we'll ever... Get to a point where people will be like not calling shenanigans on things, whether it's true or not. Good use of the word shenanigans. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite part of Super Troopers. When he's the next person that says shenanigans is going to get a pistol whip. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the name of that place with the chairs? Um, uh, yeah, well, that's kind of the problem. Like, whenever you're for someone to work on one of these PSRs, like they have to give a shit in the first place, right? Like, if you don't care about um, if you don't care about logging, then you're not going to spend the time that go uh, that goes into creating a logging standard. Um, and on the you know the, the exact opposite of that, or the, the exact flip side of that coin, is that if you've written a logging package, you probably know quite a lot about logging. You don't necessarily writing the package doesn't mean that you know a lot, but pr- it's probably because you knew a lot that you wrote the package in the first place. You'd hope, mm-hmm. at least if it's a good enough quality one that it ends up becoming like the de facto standard already. Like if I'm if I'm thinking about trying to use a logging package for PHP, even before the standard came out, there's not that many choices. It's basically monologue. In the same way that whilst there's there's bars and there's guzzle and there's requests, I can recognize and see facts and figures that show that guzzle is used a fuckload more than others. So just because uh, I, I'm 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 fairly safe in the knowledge that you know Michael knows plenty about the HTTP spec because he's written the most popular HTTP library. And therefore, if the two end up sharing some things in common, then that shouldn't be the scariest thing in the world. And it's mostly because all all HTTP packages are basically the same thing. 
And it's because they're basically the same thing that we can create this standard in the first place. So I figure like people can come at this from any angle and then try and pick an issue with it. And it's uh, shut up, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it's good to know that the that, that, um, PSR seven isn't just like a screenshot of Guzzle with a with a thumbs up. So that's right. Good. So um, am I continued like just mocking um, of the really, fake? Uh, to get to what was that, Phil? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was. We've got a question from Ben Ramsey, but go ahead. Oh, so just to continue marking the fake like I always do, do you think it'll be like 2015 or 2016 <laughs> before we see PSR 7? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be a while. Like, I assume it won't take as long as caching um, uh, because caching took forever. Now that we have this new workflow in place, which actually I meant to um, say about in response to Bo's comment that, um, that when you – we'll get back to that – when you have just one author making the entire standard and nobody else has any input, then it becomes very much the case of, I'm this one guy who made this package and I made this whole standard. Then it becomes very much like, this is my standard, this is my baby, you can shut your mouth. Whereas now that we have this new workflow where we have uh, two sponsors, and one of them's the coordinator and uh, one of them's the author, like the three of them together should make a fairly more rounded package. Um, and at the same time, that workflow should help us move things through quicker. Because before we had like one person saying, "Here's this one package," and then somebody else, uh, "Here's this one proposal," and then someone else would say, "Here's this other proposal," and then they just fight each other for six months, and then they both get bored and log off, and then not do anything for a year. Um, <laughs> which is how HTTP client nearly ended up going. But. Uh, now that I'm done with that, so uh, Ben Ramsey has two questions now, so we should probably do the first one. I'm curious how this HTTP client relates to the Peckle HTTP extension. Uh, there's been talk in the past of including that extension in the core. Uh, Michael? Uh, it, it is not related to it. Um, the Peckle HTTP client, I, I think, was recently rewritten. They have like a 2.0 that they just released. Um, but it is not based on that. It, uh, it's, it's a much smaller interface surface area. So I think that Peckle HTTPs, their messages have, have many more methods exposed on the, in their public API. And that's something I wanted to avoid, is to make it as, as simple as possible. So it's, it's not really following that. And um, I heard or I read the other day, I guess, that there's hopes that it will be brought into PHP's core and maybe like 6.0. But um, yeah, I, I mean, even if it is brought into core and PHP, it's going to be years before anyone's actually using that version. So like, I mean, it's just the way that like I see bug fixes in curl and I'm like, wow, that's a cool bug fix. I'll be able to use it in 10 years whenever this distro updates to the latest version of curl. So like it, it isn't, um, it's not going to be something that's, in core for a while, and even if it were, it, you wouldn't be able to use it for a long time. So um, it would be awesome to have that in core because then I could create an adapter for Guzzle that used it, and then that could handle the low-level networking layer. Yeah, sounds well answered. Um, I mean, yeah, if, if there was a packet extension, then it wouldn't be in the core. It wouldn't be something that you could uh, use in a WordPress installation or a CMS with, with you know, 
that's expected to run on on shitty hosts with no with no command line access or anything else. So I guess it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's not going to use it. But if one does roll into the core, then an adapter can be built. But um, I think I think people are mostly just interested in knowing that it's been considered because um, mm. obviously if there's an existing implementation out there that's getting uh, like some sort of official support, i.e. potentially being rolled into the core, having two drastically different interfaces would be would be a bit of a pain. But um, the yeah. good thing is that it, it, there's no way it could be drastically different because we're all building the same thing. We're all following the same specification. So it could be different in a minor way, but it wouldn't be drastically different. Ah, yeah, it depends if you use execute or fetch. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the the entire concept behind Stack is basically getting into uh, the request and response flow. So it would play potentially pretty nicely with PSR7. Um, it's based right now on Symfony's HTTP uh, response and request and the kernel interface, but um, it could be pretty easily adapted to just using raw HTTP requests and responses um, that are defined as the messages within PSR7. So uh, I, I would see that as a huge win if Stack could move from basically just the Symfony ecosystem to the PHP-wide ecosystem. It could be. You know, if, if we actually are able to say, hey, you know what, PHP has a, an interface for PSR with FIG where requests and response are handled the same, um, if Aura uses it and Symfony starts using it and uh, whatever other pro uh, Zen starts using it, if a lot of other frameworks start using it, suddenly if you write a stack middleware, it's usable for everything or anything that supports um, the PSR7 interfaces at the server level. So if you want to build a new logging class or some sort of fancy uh, authentication system, you're not going to have to write a Zen authentication module and a Symfony authentication bundle and a Aura authentication module or whatever the different packages use, you'll just be able to write one stack middleware that you could just plug into whatever application you're running on whatever framework and just write it once. Yeah, actually, I've been pretty excited about stack because, you know, Rack's done a lot of good things for, mm -hmm. for the Ruby community. What are your thoughts... Um, on you know maybe Guzzle going towards a stack middleware, Michael. Um, yeah. My thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I evaluated a lot of different approaches for how to best create an HTTP client that's flexible, that can you can intercept requests, that you can easily add new features at runtime, and a decorator pattern is a great pattern for that. Um, no doubt about that. But once you start getting into parallelizing requests and doing more than one thing at a time, you start talking about how, how do you, how would you decorate this, this request and then um, be able to say this one has to have uh, basic authentication before it gets over the wire and then it, when it gets a response you can retry it five times or something. So like then I tried some stuff with generators to where it's basically like decorate or stack coroutines to where you could do something and then it could return up the chain of stack coroutines. Um, that got really ugly and hard to work with. So I, I'm back to an event system. So with, with asynchronous requests and, and sending things um, more than one request at a time, I think an event system is going to be a cleaner approach. 
if PHP had threads or if PHP had even green threads, then it would be easier to say like, I'm going to use a decorator and then just create threads and, but it doesn't. So I think the uh, event driven approach is the best choice for a client on the server side though, you have one server request at a time that you're handling per process. So it, it makes way more sense there. So um, I, I don't think that the stack-based approach will be taken completely by Guzzle, but Guzzle does have an adapter layer that you could do some stuff like that. And it's kind of doing things like making a decision on which adapter to use based on the options provided to a, requ to a request. So it's sort of using that sort of stack decorator pattern. But the, the meat and potatoes of the library is in the event system. Well answered. Um, so we actually have two more questions that have come through now. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how long you guys have because this uh, is meant to be an, roughly an hour. Um, we're on like 55 minutes. So are you good to go for a couple more? Sure. sure. Sweet. Um, so the first one I'm going to ask is about um, PSR 7 because that's kind of where we were a minute ago. Would it make sense to have PSR Oh, no, no, ignore that one. That one we've already answered. Um, <laughs> Sorry, this one's from Edmund Zinder. Um, what differences, uh, what different circumstances dictate how long a PSR takes to get from pro proposal to blessed by the fig? Now, I'm not sure who to throw that one to. Either of you guys want to take that? Sure. Michael doesn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, I feel like you've been involved um, in more. Like we ended up having a few, a uh, few heated discussions and arguments and. Yeah. And um, it's been good, and and you've you've been around the block a lot with with being very involved in these um, these PSRs. So it'd be good if you could uh, give an um, answer as to what what takes what takes so much time. I think what takes a lot of time is um, it depends on how many people get involved. So if early on one person is kind of running the show and no one really pays attention to it, uh, like with the HTTP stuff. It kind of got derailed, but it was basically one person who kind of started that, and then it just kind of died off um, because other stuff came on, and other people had to bring it in later. Like, okay, well, let's get back to the HTTP messaging thing, or the HTTP client. Maybe it should be messages instead. So then it just kind of goes through these weird iterations. Like, HTTP has been really different because it has evolved, and it's had such a long lifetime, and it's had a lot of people involved in it. Um, caching sort of... That one was kind of interesting because that <laughs> that had a lot. Uh, a couple of people get really different tracks, and that's even still the case. There's still um, a lot of open questions about, you know, are we even going down the right direction for the caching proposal? So it's it's a little it's a little difficult if you have uh, a bunch of people jumping in. So even like Michael, you know, saying, you know what, this other proposal I've tried to work. You know, with it, and it's kind of been slow going. So I wrote a new one, and we had that problem a lot with PSR four, like a lot. Like, and I know you've complained about it a lot, Phil. That you know, it seemed like every week someone new would come in with a new proposal, and it's like, hey, the ones on the table aren't good. Here's a fifth one, or here's a sixth one. And um, I don't know. I think that the new the new workflow is going to help a lot with that because it's a little more checks and balances. Um, things should go a little more smoothly, and I'm hoping we won't see a lot of derailed things like we had with PSR4 where things just spiraled out of control. Um, PSR3 was kind of interesting uh, because Jordy kind of came in and said, let's do a logging interface. And everyone was like, that's awesome. And 
I don't even know how long that took. <laughs> it felt like it was like a month or two tops. Yeah, there was a lot of heat about how quickly that yeah. went through, and I think that was why that was one of the driving factors in the new workflow, kind of saying there's two weeks for draft, and you have to vote <laughs> about it first. There's two weeks at least for review, yeah. and it's, if it's never going to take a, a month, but like at the very least, you have that month. Otherwise, it's yeah. like boom, standard mic drop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go on, you know, you go to a, uh, vacation for a week and come back, and there's a new PSR. It's like what? I didn't even know we were talking about that. So it's it's been interesting to see the different variations because it has gone from one extreme to the other. And, you know, PSR 1 and PSR 2 were just... That was actually two different... That was originally just one big thing. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's hard to say exactly why some of them go faster than others, but you can kind of tell if you're actually watching them, uh, kind of see the interactions of the community getting involved and whether or not they do or they just kind of like wander off and it just kind of dies off for six months before someone picks it up again and says, hey, let's do this again. And um, Yeah, I don't know if I've done a good job of answering the question, but it's they've all been very different, and I'm hoping that it sort of normalizes and stabilizes a bit now that we're getting used to the new workflows. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thanks for that. Um, so we've got a few more questions come through. And uh, this, this one's not about anything specific that we've been uh, talking about. This is another one from Jeremy Lindblom. And uh, I'm assuming that he sits next, sits next to you, Michael, so he could probably ask you this at any point. But it would be, it would be good to have this uh, on the podcast. So, um, uh, <laughs> Mo and Michael, you've both been managing open source packages for years, uh, for a few years. What's the best and worst parts about managing an open source project, uh, Michael? The best part and the worst part. Um, I guess the best part is helping people, and you you create something that people find value in, and they benefit from it. So, in um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, and uh, that's what open source projects give people. Um, so that's really technical and not probably accurate, but um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it feels good to help people, and it feels good to like see that people like the thing that you're making. Um, and then the worst part is when people hate the thing that you're making, <laughs> and then they tell you that. So, uh, yeah, that's not really that bad. I don't really care. Um, the worst part is wanting to keep making things better, but then, like, knowing that any breaking change you make could cause work on someone. Unnecessary work that the thing that they liked before, you're trying to make it different, and now it's going to cause unnecessary work on them. So that's a balancing act between getting that, like, I'm helping someone, I'm doing them a service, and then not hurting them in the fact that you're making them do extra work. So that's kind of my good and bad. That's a, that's a solid way of looking at it. Um, you actually made me think of something really funny right then. Uh, we, discussed, <laughs> we discussed in the last episode about um, how, how a lot of developers have this dream of like, when I'm finally done developing, I'm going to go and do this other thing. Because there's a lot of people like me who are doing this because I have literally no other talent. I'd probably be back working in a cinema if it wasn't for the fact that I could crank out. <laughs> um, and I don't want to do that. It was awful. Would you like to upgrade for an extra 40p, sir? No. <laughs> shut your mouth. Um, so I hate that. But I would like to like quit and become a kayaking instructor in the Canadian Rockies, for example. I have yeah. a dream for getting out. Um, and I feel like it'd be really fun just to, uh, like, if, if you release Guzzle uh, or, like, any major package, just release version 4.2.3, minor, minor patch version, 
and it just breaks everything. Just rename every class <laughs> and every method and be like, fuck it, I'm out. And, <laughs> just this and then go work as a kayak instructor. Really yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, just turn off Twitter, awesome. delete it, just delete it off my phone and be like, fuck, I think, you guys uh, complain, but I don't know about it. I think we both know someone who pretty much did that, Phil. <laughs> yes, that is yeah, we do. Let's not get into that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bo, how about this yeah, question sure. for you? Best and worst of the open source. Well, I think the the best part is probably knowing that other people enjoy it. I mean, uh, like even with Sculpin, I've been working on that for. I don't know, two years at least, maybe three. I can't. I'm horrible with time and date. Um, but you know, I, I was pretty quiet with that for a while, and you know, people started to find it and liking it and using it. And the, I think the probably m my favorite experience was uh, walking into a co-working space for the first time, like a brand new co-working space, and uh, I don't know, it's like two hours from from where I live, and. Uh, Met a guy there and you know shook his hand and got his got his name. So I looked him up on Twitter and clicked on his account, um, clicked on his blog URL, and I was like, "This site looks really familiar. Why does this look familiar?" And he had actually cloned my blog, which was a Sculpin blog, and had started building his own blog based on my site. And it just took it took me a little while to realize what had happened. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, this was the first time that I had bumped into someone randomly who didn't know in advance that I had made something that he was using, that I had discovered he was using it. And I, it was just a really surreal thing because I got up and walked into his office. I'm like, hey, I saw your blog. Uh, you use Sculpin? <laughs> it, was, it was really, you know, He's like, yeah, why? So well, I wrote Sculpin, and he his eyes got big, and just just weird, like small world thing that had never happened to me before. So I would have to say that's probably my my favorite thing so far doing an open source project. Um, worst thing is probably not having enough time to work on things um, when you want to get them done. So like. People weren't using Sculpin for a while, and I could spend as much time as I wanted to on it, and it didn't really matter. And now there's people who actually want features or find bugs, and now it's like, okay, well, where were you, you know, a year ago when I had a lot of time for this, and like right now I I don't have a lot of time for it, and that's when I'm starting to get people interested in it. And I know that's going to go in cycles, but I'd, I'd say right now that's probably the the hardest part about maintaining an open source project for me is just the this, them not sinking when there's demand for your time versus, you know, not having any. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a tricky one. Like, um, with a lot of the packages that I've released, it's been, like, some clients been hiring me to work on some specific project, and uh, during that project, I've built a bunch of code, which happens to be reusable, so I take it out, and I spend, like, a weekend kind of, you know, writing a bit of documentation and, and, and trimming off some of the framework-specific requirements and, and making it nice and abstract. Um, and doing whatever, release the package, and that's great. And then people keep asking you for shit <laughs> all the time. They just never stop wanting stuff. Oh, hey, can you make it work with this framework? No, I've never used that framework. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, but it is it is one of those things of open source. It's like you put code out there, and you have to expect people to, to get back in touch. And as much of a pain, as, pain in the ass as it is when you want to be at a pub or on your bike or whatever it is you do, that you have to sit there and fix some bug because your code is 
ruining somebody's life. And it's just <laughs> one of those things that you have to do, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the ones that uh, the bug made the most are the ones that just kind of transition from, hey, I use your code, so how about you help me with this totally unrelated thing that uses PHP that I can't figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know about PHP codes. I've got this, this PHP code, and it's really bad. Could you <laughs> review it for no, for no money? <laughs> no, bro. <laughs> not, not at all. Um, okay, last question, and then we're done. Uh, this is from Marco again. Um, I think this dude's one of the, the Zen framework uh, contributors. If I recognize his his Mario uh, Mario avatar, but um, Michael, do you think a simple HTTP server interface would fit into PSR seven? That would be a good replacement for Stack PHP, no? Um, so I don't think that there needs to be a server and interface and a client interface. I think there just needs to be a message interface. Um, and if a server-side framework needs to expose more information than what's in the minimal interfaces, then they could go about, if they wanted to, designing a new PSR that builds on top of the existing one. But I, I don't think that there needs to be a distinction between client and server. We're just modeling HTTP messages as described in RFC 2616. All right. Done. Um, I think we've managed to get all the questions answered, and if we run away really fast, no one can ask any more, um, which I think is a good way of doing things. I'm actually really happy that people are asking questions. When I started doing this, the whole point was that we were going to get people on that would know about you know specific current events and mm -hmm. get people to um, to ask questions and find out more. And you know the whole name, the whole point of the name Town Hall is meant to be you know here are some representatives. Um, from wherever, and the, the the town can ask questions. So it's nice to see people starting to do that. Um, I guess it's mostly because we're actually up on uh, Google Plus, and we actually know how it works now, which is a <laughs> fucking marvelous step forward. Uh, <laughs> seriously, you have no idea how stressful it was when we had Sarah Goldman um, shouting at me for an hour, just being like, "Where the fuck's this link?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. Um, but no, it's been great talking to you guys, uh, and uh, I, I figure you guys should probably go, because this is roughly the point in the evening where everyone starts looking like they're just ready to go to the bathroom and just waiting <laughs> to run away. So, <laughs> um, so I, I will speak to you guys soon on and around the internet. Um, to our listeners, thank you very much for, for listening in, and thank you very much for keeping an, eye, keeping an eye out for our tweets and joining us on the QA section on Google+. Yeah. And uh, next time, we'll try to do a little better job of uh, promoting this a little beforehand. Instead of two hours before, we'll, uh, we'll give you a couple days next time, and maybe we can get more questions. Yeah, um, that, thanks for joining. Is, there is a calendar up on the website. If you go to phptownhall.com, uh, there's a calendar which shows our events on there. Uh, we didn't advertise this one. We, 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 were, we only did the last episode last week, and we were still in the process of trying to, uh, to edit it and whatnot. Um, so uh, that kind of confused the situation, but we will have this shit covered. And um, I've learned that I have to speak incredibly close to my microphone for anyone to hear me. So uh, that's going to be that's going to be better next time as well. So again, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Bill. Cool. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks.